Welcome to the NCMI podcast. On today's podcast, we'll be hearing from Greg Garrett, who leads New Day Church in Edenvale, Johannesburg, South Africa, along with his wife, Vanessa. Greg recently shared at an NCMI Church Planters and Lead Elders Training Week, and he shared on the topic of partnership with the NCMI team. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Please go to our website at www.ncmi.net for more resources. All right. Hello, everyone. At least say hello back. That's a good start. Okay. All right. Before we go any further, I'm just trying to see your faces. Some of you I actually know, which is rather wonderful, like three of, three of you, the rest I don't know. So, and you don't know me either, hey, so I always like to start, even if I preach at a church for the very first time, and I've never been there, I ask them to ask me a series of questions, because you don't know me, so let's get to know each other a little bit. So fire away, and I don't even start talking until I get at least three questions. So ask away. Put your hand up, tell me your name, and ask me a question. Remember, leaders are inquisitive. If, you, if you're not inquisitive, leadership's going to be a real problem. Yes, sir. Yes, Ronnie. What's key in church planting? Just don't do it. Simple as that, just stay at home. No, I'm joking. I'll try and answer, I'll answer that one now. But before that, I want, to ask me, I want you to ask me a personal question. Get to know me better. That's the kind of question I want. Three boys. 16, almost 17, 14, and 11. Three boys. So I can't sell them. Anyone else? Yo. How's it, Leon? Yes, I don't have one. They're just so lacquer. I think, um, no, I'm serious. The thing with Edenvale is there's no pretenses. Oaks carry knives and guns to church. You know what I mean? It's a, I'm not joking. It is a, it is a very different world. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying, because I can't be humorous about this, but a lady in our church, a hairdresser in our church, four weeks ago was stabbed in the throat and killed by a boyfriend. And I had to do the funeral. It's those kind of people. So you know where you stand with them all the time. It's lacquer. What wouldn't I like about my community? I think possibly the brokenness. It's a real messed up, but at the same time, you attract all the people who need it. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. And so you've got to get used to the fact that you're around people. You know, when you, when you start a church, Ronnie, I hope you're listening. When you start a church, you're hoping that the people who come is a mom and a dad with three well-adjusted kids. They all earn well, they tithe well. They put money in your account and there's no problems. And they only come to serve. Now there's one of those for every like hundred who come. All the rest have got issues, but that's what Jesus wants. Yeah, anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, no. Church has? I haven't. I was born in Port Chepston. Uh, we went from Port Chepston to Kimberley to Durban. Uh, sorry, we went from Port Chepston to Kimberley to Joburg, to Durban, back to Joburg, and then my folks two years after that left Joburg. And so I've been here since I was 18, uh, till now. So I consider myself 100% uh, a volley. Um, and then uh, when we started the church, uh, we started as a home cell, and the guy we started with, or some of the people in the group, I needed a venue, and they found one in Kensington. And the first time I ever went to lead that home group at their house, they had to come fetch me where I was staying in a flat in Rosebank and drive me because I'd never been to Kensington in my life. Uh, and then from there, we actually settled in the area and we've been here ever since. Yeah, so I'm not an East Rander, no, not at all. Anyone else? Yeah. In my off time. <laughs> I literally have had a couple of, there's one there, I've had a couple of my elders take me aside recently, I think I get one day off in about three months, so I, there's no off time, but, but um, what I do is, I, I, I'm a little bit different, so I ride with a motorbike crew, with a motorcycle club, so I love doing that, 
uh, we box. We sp- I spar every Tuesday and Thursday, and, and I shoot things. Not, not, not animals, but targets. And so, so those are kind of my, my things. I'm, I like to get out there and, and, and be a bit involved. Yeah, so I might not look it, but that's the kind of stuff I like doing. So I got a Harley and I got a gun and we, and, and we box and we fight. And yeah, that's what we do. And that's what I enjoy doing. I, I played rugby for Edenvale for the Panthers' uh, first rugby side for 12 years. First league representative rugby. Uh, two ACLs here, one ACL there, hip replacement here, shoulder up here, all from rugby. And now I've calmed down. Now I just box and ride bikes and, and shoot. So it's a lot calmer. Yeah, so, so that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a physical person. I need to be doing stuff. I can't. And I read. I read all the time. Reading's like my big thing. I'm never without about, probably, I'm not exaggerating, nine or, nine or 10 or 11 books next to the side of my bed. Yeah. Anyone else? Is that it? If you don't know how old I am, you don't know our story, you don't know anything about our church, you don't know what we've done, but good. All right, so open your books, please, to page... 15, you've got notes, which means you can read them yourself. So just turn there to page 15. And I'm talking about partnership with a translocal call. With a translocal team, sorry, to fulfill your call. And I want to just talk around a couple of things. So I'm going to tell you a little bit of my story in literally two minutes, and then we'll talk a bit from there. So one day, I'm sitting in my church in about the 18th row, somewhere at the back. And it was a normal, ch- a normal Sunday, and our pastor said a throwaway line that changed my life. And he said, we see ourselves as a mothership, a mother church mothership that's going to go and plant satellite churches from here. And then moved on to whatever he was talking about. It's like I had a little fire burning. It's like someone threw petrol on my fire. And in that moment, I knew what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And that is, I was going to plant churches that can plant churches. I didn't know what it meant. I had absolutely no idea. I didn't know if I'd been called to it. And can I tell you, interestingly, I think if I had not been at church that Sunday morning, I would have missed that call. That's what I think. Let's say that Sunday, because okay, now we go back from that, we go back four years before that. I'm an 18-year-old studying law at University of Johannesburg. It was then called Rao. I'm studying law, and I'm playing rugby. Some of my friends became Lions players. Some became Springboks. I'm playing rugby with the guys, studying law, and in the August of my first year, I get radically saved. I mean, hectic, like a conviction of sin on a Friday night that drives me to church on a Sunday night. My parents didn't know, or well, why are you coming to church? I said, I'm not telling you. But I went with them. I got saved on a Sunday night. I got filled with the Holy Spirit on the Tuesday night. And in that time, God gave me Genesis 12. Leave your family, leave your household, leave your people, leave your everything, and go where I will still show you. Now, I'm a lighty. I'm saved a month. I'm 18 years old. I don't know what this is all about. I go to my parents. I'm leaving law. Okay, what are you going to do? I don't know. Are you sure about this? Yes. Our church did a year of your life. I went and did a year of your life at our church. The year after that, I went to the army. I came out of the army, got a job, and I worked for three years. And in those five years, God never said a word, not one word. But I served in every aspect of church life. And then in church, I decided to go to a meeting on that Sunday. Thank God, I always one of my, one of my non-negotiables is I'm in church every Sunday. And the pastor said this, and I knew I'm gonna do that. And I approached him after the meeting, and I said, I'm one of those guys. He says, I know, God's already showed me. And so all I did was I took four friends. We started a home group in our home with four friends and me and my wife. So there were six of us. We had a table with five chairs only, which works for a preacher. So I stood so the other five could sit. You know what I'm saying? And uh, then one family joined our home group, one family of five. Suddenly we could not meet in my flat anymore. We had a small little flat in, 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 in Oxford Road in Rosebank. And it was here in Kensington. That home cell up to 30 people, and from that home cell, we started to look for a venue. We found Bedford View uh, uh, Primary School. They allowed us to meet there, and in that environment, we, uh, start, I started to connect with different pastors, and I phoned every pastor in the fraternal, and only two agreed to see me. The one was the Bedford View Methodist head. I can't even remember his name from back then, Marcus. The oak before Oki. Remember him with the beard. That oak, and then, and then uh, um, 
and Jim Lamont, who was leading this church before Marcus. They're the only two that agreed to come and see me. And so we chatted, and I got to know them a bit better. I attended the fraternals, and it was all good. And then after about three years, we're in the Bedford View Primary School Hall, uh, probably grown to about 40 or 50 people in about three years. And uh, I started to look at we need a, a relationship with the church. We need a partnership with somebody. I just don't know who, and I just don't know how. And in the midst of that environment, one of my leaders, my senior leaders, did not like that I wanted a relationship with the NCMI guys. So he did a bit of a split and took about a quarter of the people away. A fifth or the quarter of the people, an older guy, it broke me. I didn't know what to do. And all I did was I prayed. I said, Lord, what do I do now? And the Lord spoke to me and said, go and speak to Jim Lamont. So I came to the Boeing Road offices and I sat down with Jim and I poured my heart out to him. And while I was doing that, as we now after three years, you know what it's like. Often when you're a new lead guy, your quiet time becomes your Sunday preach, even when it shouldn't. Just want to be honest. And in those days, we, we went on holiday to Cape Town because someone gave us a, a place to stay for free. For all three years, I would arrive and say, okay, Lord, I, for, for two weeks now or a week and a half, I don't have to read my Bible for someone else. I can read it for me. What do you want me to read? All three years, he took me back to the book of Acts. Chapter 1 to 28. Then I said, okay, Lord, I've done it. What now? Go back to chapter 1 to 28. Chapter 1 to 28. Three years in a row. And then when I met with Jim and I explained what was going on, he invited me to what was then called the lead elders getaway time. They invited me to it at, I think it was uh, Alpha at uh, Bukhali's. I arrived there and my first night sitting with them, the Lord spoke to me and said, your inheritance lies with these people. And I started to understand the basics of an Ephesians 4 translocal team that works with local churches. That's where my journey started after three years. I've, this year is 27 years I've been leading New Day. So for 24 of the 27 years, I've had the privilege of walking with this team. And like various other guys on this team, I've been approached many times asking, when am I going to start my own thing? Or when am I going to join another thing? Or when am I going to do whatever? All I know is the Lord said, your inheritance lies with these people. And he's never changed his mind. And so because of that, I don't change mine. And so I started partnering with this team. And you start to learn quickly about some of the things that a translocal team will do. So I'm going to read, just I'm going to highlight some of the notes for you quickly. Then I have done other notes that I did send to Glenn this morning, some supplementaries I'm going to talk about quick. Then I'm going to stop for some questions. Are you happy? Okay. So when you open your book to the beginning of page, or to the end of page 15, you will see there, you see, are you doing this alone? If so, you're doing it wrong. The next line says, all over scripture, God shows us the tremendous importance of partnering with others in accomplishing the call. I would underline that if I was you. Partnering with others to accomplish the call. And the point I wanna make is this. All through your ministry life, you are going to have to partner with others to accomplish the call of God on your life and the call of God on your church. From the day you start, you have to partner with your wife, you have to partner with other leaders, you have to partner with volunteers, you have to partner with an apostolic team. The, the day you start to say, I am the leader and I will make the decisions is the day you start to lead that church wrong. In a business, you've got your own company, you do what you want when you want. You're only accountable really to SARS and to your own CA doing your books. That's all you're accountable to. The rest of the time, you do what you want when you want. Church leadership is exactly the opposite. From day one, you have to settle the fact that you have to partner with other people, which means, and we'll get onto it now, the kind of things you prioritize become critical. You will, for the rest of your ministry life, largely work with a volunteer force who aren't paid. And how do you, who are paid by the church, motivate others who are not paid by the church to do what you're doing. It has to be the way you lead them. And when you often start a church, it doesn't matter how long you've been in a church. When you start a church, it's like starting all over again. And in that context, you literally need the support of a team around you who's been there, who's done it, who knows what to look for. 
And very often they will give you counsel that you think, well, no, that doesn't make sense because you are often responding to your needs at the time. You're not responding to the bigger picture because you can't see it. You are responding to your needs at the time. When I was in the army, I boxed uh, for, our, for our units. I was a cruiser, light heavyweight. And your most important guy is your coach because your coach stands, along, stands outside of the ring. And for those, anyone ever done boxing here? All right, you know, if you've got your jab hand is your one, your sending hand is your number two, and then you've got a hook, you've got an up, uh, you, you've, you've got a Superman punch, and your, your coach tells you what to do when you're in trouble. And I remember times where I'm, I'm against the ropes, and the other guy's just throwing leather at me that it hurts, and all you hear is the guy out there saying, up, 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 and you know, you just gotta, if you just do what he says, you're gonna land that thing. If you don't listen to your coach, you're just gonna carry on getting smacked. And when you're leading a church, there's so much happening around you, you often can't see the bigger picture. And that's what apostolic team does. You gotta accept the fact that there's partnership. And with partnership means you've gotta be willing to embrace information or counsel that you don't even like at the time because it doesn't suit you. Okay. So that's a comment I wanted to make under that. Next page at the beginning, if you've been part of NCMI since Tyron's been leading, this one thing you know is all about Jesus. Isn't it? I mean, you hear that and you think, yeah, it is. Okay, I mean, it's like, it's become a slogan these days, you know? It's just, yeah, it's about Jesus. And you carry on, yeah, it's about Jesus. So what can we say about that if it is all about Jesus? Our church is about the king and his kingdom. We know that. It says that right there. Our churches are about the king and his kingdom. So I want to ask you, do you understand the nature of the secret kingdom? Do you understand the nature of the hidden kingdom? Can you be in a kind of relationship with Jesus yourself? Where his rule and his authority settles in your own life. Because your view of Jesus and your interaction of Jesus will set the tone for your leaders and for your church later. It's very difficult to get them to walk into a relationship with Jesus that's difficult to the one you are different to the one that you have. Number two says you establish a community of people who are all about knowing Jesus and wanting to make him known. I underlined that in my notes. You establish a community of people who are all about knowing Jesus and want to make him known. Under that, I've said, how do you actually do that? How do you know Jesus? You need to learn how to engage the Lord and not just have meetings. It's a skill you have to learn. In worship, in leader meetings, in spending time with people, in spending time on your own, how do you actually engage the Lord? Many people run services. Many people try and get the Holy Spirit, in inverted commas, get the Holy Spirit to do stuff because they're looking at the, at the flesh to attract people. The problem is people in your church can only have that stuff with you while they're with you, which is usually half an hour of activity once a week. What you'd want to do is you want to teach people how to walk with him. And then the second question you need to answer is how do you develop from the beginning an invitational culture? Because if we want to know him and we want to make him known, how are you going to do that? It's very difficult to make him known by making him known to the same people who know him already. You've got to ask those questions. How do you do it? When we were still in the school hall here, they wouldn't let us advertise. They wouldn't let us do anything like that. I went to God one day and I said, Lord, no one's coming to our church. You know, every week can we hand out visitors cards, but you know everyone. And there's no new people. Week in and week out and you start to die. And I felt like God said to me, what's in your hands? And all that was in my hands was to play a bit of sport. It's all I could do. So he said to me, I joined the Edinburgh Rugby Club and I joined the Edinburgh Water Polo Club. And till today, some of those people are still in our church along with others, because I had to find a way to build a bridge. Do you notice that Jesus invited himself to eat at the home of a tax collector? He didn't expect them to come to him. He went there. So if we talk about it's all about Jesus, well, then what did he do? Jesus did not run church services. He did, but not a lot. He was involved in the town and the people around him. And our, our culture needs to be, it's not just enough to have meetings that people come to by invitation. It has to be about the going aspect. Both the name God and the gospel have the first two letters to go. And it has to become part of what we're doing. So when we say, yes, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, are we doing the things that he would have us do? And in my notes, I wrote this. this these, are, these are the other notes you're gonna get. 
The purpose of the church is to grow in relationship with Jesus in order to do what he's commanded us to do. You will discover, and you don't have to write this down because I've given the notes to Glenn, you're gonna get them. You will discover in leading or helping lead a church that there are so many strong influences that try to pull you away with their agenda. In order to keep your wits about you and not get distracted from the main thing, we emphasize the importance of our view and our priority of Jesus. The way you see Jesus will have an enormous influence on how others perceive him and relate to him. In many cases, he's simply a figurehead and his name is thrown into the mix, etc., etc. So I wanted to ask this, a very good question to ask yourself often is how are you personally growing in your intimacy and your revelation of Jesus? What is he working in you? What is he emphasizing in your life at the moment? I love and I serve him before serving and loving the church. Easy to say. You'd be surprised how quickly it changes. You can find yourself serving the Lord and serving the church with all your heart, but you're no longer in fellowship with him. It happens to all of us because you're so busy with him. You're reading the Bible, you're praying, you're with people, you're doing the thing. But are there still those moments where he takes us aside to make us more like him? 27 years I've been leading the church and I tell you this year, God has been smashing my character left, right and center. More than probably in the last three or four years. He's just zoned me in and showing me stuff that he wants to adjust for the future and it's not been easy. And you know what? I'm more grateful for that than I am for the apparent successes we're having in church every Sunday. We haven't had a Sunday this year, even towards the end of last year, where people didn't get saved and wada wada every Sunday and visitors and there's lots of people and all that stuff. But far more than that, I'm interested in what the Lord is doing with me because I need to know he's still interested in me. Because my serving him and my serving others must come out of being with him. Now, that's why the apostolic team emphasized it has to be about Jesus. Now, we all said that, but if you don't have a team you're working with, and I'm gonna get onto it now, who knows you and who works with you, there's no one who can see if there's a sudden shift and you're serving before being. And you have gotta have those around you who can see the difference because it's in the being that the power and the anointing and the faith to do comes, if you hear what I'm saying. Still page 16, relationships are absolutely central. I underline these, you can see it yourself. Have a shepherd's heart, love them to become all God wants them to be, love them wherever you are, you know. Build a leadership team from the beginning who love people like you do. And then it says, have a healthy relationship with a team outside of your church who can encourage you, bring accountability, stability, come alongside you in this endeavor. Then it says, the church is a relational, organic body of people living in and out God's love. I made a note there. I said, the, the church is a relational, organic body. I've underlined that and then I said this. It's not always easy to manage or control the church just the way the Lord wants it. It's not always easy to manage or control the church. I'm saying that to you because you're gonna find one day there's a priority for prayer meetings. There's a priority for training times. There's a priority for church services. There's a priority for, and it's a priority for you because you are owning this thing with all your heart. You're in it, it's what you do, your life. Every prayer time you're having, this is where you're focused. But almost every single person you lead has a wife, has children, has a job, has demands, has issues, has this, has that, and they're not on your page. And before you know it, your efforts to pull them into what God has for them creates a controlling environment where performance is measured rather than relationships enjoyed. And you will bring something into your church that will so tire your people out. It's a year or two and they start feeling God said, God's leading me on. God never wanted them to go anywhere, but they cannot cope under your. And Jesus said, as the wind blows, you don't know where it comes from or where it's going, so it is with everyone born of the spirit. Understand it's like this. You've got a garden full of leaves and those little tornadoes come and blow those leaves everywhere. 
The leaves belong to him. It's the wind, the tornado of his spirit. Watch what he does and work with it instead of trying to push people into a circle. Where they're suddenly doing what you want because of your passion. Now mark my words, if you're a hectic relational person, this has just gone over your head. You, on the other hand, run the risk of getting nothing done in your church ever because you're just so relational, everything's gonna fall over and flop. But the moment there's people in your church, well, there was three, there was 12, there was 72, there was this, there was that, I gotta gotta package this thing. The moment you start to do that, watch the life of God come under strain in your church. So under that, about relationships being central, these will be in the notes you get. The way we relate to others will set the tone for how leaders are raised and how they will relate to the people that we then reach. It's important to invite team members, apostolic team members into your church at this relational level for two primary reasons. Firstly, they're able to gauge your character, your theology and your mannerisms over time and can help you with adjustments as required. So Marcus is a friend of mine over there. I knew him when he was still having an office in the broom closet. As you went up the stairs in Boeing Road, it was a small little tiny office on the right that was Marcus's when I used to come and visit Jim. And years ago, because you haven't heard me say this in a long time, there were certain words that would come out of my mouth. Like I'd preach and I'd say, well, I'd say, well if you don't like it, foot sack. From the pulpit, I'd say it often. Often, I mean, how many times? Every preach. And ask John, he's been with me forever. I own church. I'll tell everyone, I'm foot sack, man. If you're not happy, I'm foot sack. And then one day, my good friend Marcus pulled me aside. And he said, Greg, God wants to make the world your pulpit. But you throw little comments out every now and then that undermines what he's doing in you. And people will get stuck on that comment, not on everything. Someone who's a friend who saw a mannerism that's not helpful. And to the best of my knowledge, I don't think you've ever heard me say that again from the time we chatted. I've wanted to say it every Sunday, but I'm learning. So you engage people at a relational level. Secondly, they can also observe and participate in the development of your team, your leadership style, bringing perspective, encouragement to help you see what you're not seeing yet. Remember, Moses was told by God to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go so that they may worship me. God always wants his people free. His objective in ministry, is to set us free. I've come that they may have life to the full. I've come to set captives free. God wants us free. And it's not helpful to set them free from something and then put them into a performance of something else. They've got to learn to be led by him. Now the team comes alongside you. So I said, at a relational level, this is where it starts. You bring them into your own space. You choose among Ephesians 4 gifting, who, can, who do I have an affinity with that I can personally grow with? Who will be good for us and start developing those relationships? You okay? Okay, Paul didn't plant alone. Page 17. I've put there, Paul and his team were a translocal team with an apostolic prophetic heart. You can read it for yourself and see what it is, right? Hopefully you've done the reading. If you haven't, a translocal team is simply individuals who work out of a local church into nations. Apostolic means it's a going, pioneering team that looks to establish and strengthen local churches. And and prophetic is a team that strives to hear from God, to establish vision from what it hears and work towards what God has said. I wanna now take that and ask my question, how do I do this in a local church? The notes clearly describe the modus operandi of those first apostolic teams. We see clearly anointed apostles breaking ground in small teams, preaching the gospel, and starting local churches in different regions. That's what we see there in the text, all those examples. Now, very, there, is a, there, is a, there is a returning in certain circles of people saying, I see this. And I want to release Ephesians for gifting to go into new territories by doing exactly what the apostles did. Go into a place, preach, trust for signs and wonders, see people get saved, see people get free, start local churches. And I think more and more that's gonna grow. I think God's gonna return us to that. But let me tell you how it seems to work currently. 
Today, the general modus operandi, but not in every case, is we see inexperienced elders or inexperienced deacons leave a church to start another church somewhere. That seems to be how we do it normally. By gathering people either to a Sunday or to a midweek expression. Now, what we're hoping is that people will be gathered through our contacts that we've made or through personal evangelism, especially if we plant far away from the church that sent us. In other cases, a base church, in inverted commas, may release a number of people to support the new church plant if geography allows. So how far are you from us, Jono? Three Ks. Jono's about three or four Ks from us, served on our team for years. He's, He's an Ephesians 4 gift. And when Jono went to go and plant from us, he took people from us to there to be as a beachhead. Now, you can do that when you have a relationship and when you're close. You can't do it if you're going to another town or another city, or you're going somewhere else. And what I would like to see more of is the person before they go having a significant impact where they currently are. Because if you don't have an impact where you are in a protected environment with a corporate anointing already on that church, if you're in a sense anonymous there, how are you suddenly gonna be someone somewhere else? Because your gift goes with you. You need to be almost that person who's, who's stirring and breaking and, and causing things to happen already in your life. But very often we get people who just say, oh, God has called me to do it. Like me, I was 18 years old. That's why I told you my story. And then I'm sitting 23 years old or 22, 23. I'm sitting in church and I feel God says, go start a church. And I got four of my friends and said, come eat with me in my lounge. I did what I could when I could. And those first three years before walking with the NCMI team were the hardest years of my ministry life because nothing seems to happen and you're trying and you're doing this and that. Go back to my story. Sometimes a base church, if geography allows, can send some people with you to plant a church for you and with you. Other times you just have to go on your own and you've got to go into a place. And in most cases, the primary relationship continues, at least for a while, with the elders of the church that sent you because they know you best. They're the ones you talk to. They're the ones you're friends with. The problem, of course, is that the church, if you're a fairly decent elder or you're a fairly decent leader where you are, when you go, you create a problem for the church that you've just left. Because now they've got to fill holes where you were, influence you carried, there's a gap left. Let me tell you, if you leave a church to go and plant and no one even realized you're gone, then you've got to ask, well, what were you doing when you were there? You know, an elder comes up to me, I've just been on three weeks leave, I didn't know you were gone. So, what happens is you're, you're, you're effective, you're influential, you step away and you're gonna go plant now and you don't know what you don't know yet and now you start getting hold of your own elders and you know what happens within three months? Everyone's forgotten me, no one remembers me, I'm all on my own, I can't do this thing, why? Because they now have their hands full with leading the church they do because they're weakened because you're gone. And because you took people there, I tell you, a sending church that releases a group of people to go takes a dip because you send your best. We don't, you know, if someone wants to go and plant, we don't say call up the the database. Who are all the people we wish would leave? Okay, them. You can have all of them. And then we prophesy a cave of a dullum moment over you and God's gonna give you the discontented and God's gonna, no, you're setting that thing up to fail from the day it starts. That's That's not what you're trying to do. And so you get a bit miffed because the church that sent you, now they've got their hands full because you're gone. And the new church itself is so busy with all sorts of activities. There's early enthusiasm. And I'm saying that to say this. This means a critical aspect of the church planting process that needs specific attention can be neglected, which is that of keeping the new church firmly on course with her mission. Because the moment that church is planted, whether there's three or four or five people in or 50 or 100, there's got to be teaching, encouraging, raising leaders, evangelism, training, prophecy, etc. And this is where the, the invited NCMR team input becomes invaluable. So my first point was start a relationship with some of the team guys. Now you're at a place where you suddenly begin to realize, I realize what I need to learn. 
I realize where we're short as a church. And I need to get gifted people in who have done this before. I'll put a little note here. I think almost any grizzled church planter could tell you stories of what they would do and they wouldn't do if they started again. I know for me, there's so much I'd change. Now, how do you do partnership? D, which is? Uh, where it says partnership in Philippians and partnership in Corinthians, I just wrote a few things down called how do you practically do partnership? You can read your own notes in your own time. These are the ones I'm reading to you that you're gonna get from Glenn. Partnership involves investing in the reality of relationships with the NCMI team. Make the time to push into certain team members and if they reciprocate, then invest intentional time with them. We're talking purely about building friendships, friendship before function. Don't approach a guy on day one and say, look, we don't even know each other, but I've got this need in my church, this need, when can you come? You don't know his name, you don't know his surname, you don't know how many kids he's got, you don't know where he's at, you don't know what's going on. If we talk friendship before function, whenever we have a connect time, whenever we have uh, uh, these uh, equip times or anything we have, push into people that you know will be good for you later. Start on a relational basis. And not everyone's gonna reciprocate with you. But for those who do, start to build meaningful relationships. Then, out of those friendships, begin inviting team members into your church, both for corporate gatherings and for just developing leaders. Get perspective and input as needed. Share it back with a church that sent you if it's not the same crew. In other words, if I plant someone out, and now suddenly they're going to other apostolic voices and not me, at least tell me who it is. That I know you've been cared for and I know the quality of the people coming in. It doesn't mean that, like, you know, you get married, like, you become a throat now as a husband. It doesn't mean your parents are suddenly old news. You've got to keep that relationship going, even though you become the new head. I do that at every wedding I ever do, I say that. And so it is in this environment. When we started walking with the NCMI team, I said, this guy caused a bit of a split. It was this July, it was freezing cold. I came to Jim Lamont. I said, what do I do now? He says, I'll tell you what we'll do. I will teach your leadership. I'll teach your church how to walk with an apostolic team. Give me four Tuesdays. So I said, okay, when? I mean, I couldn't believe that this guy leading this big church is saying to me, I'll give you four. I said, Mr. we come to you. No, I'll come to your church. So I, got, I got permission from the school hall. And can I tell you, middle of July, freezing cold in winter, my whole church that came with to learn about NCMI could fit on the stage. We didn't even sit down there. There weren't enough of us. We sat on the stage. 20 of us after, after three and a half years of leading. And Jim walks in with Margaret, his wife. And they walk in with me and he has a look and I'm so embarrassed because at that point there's like 16 of the 20 have pitched. We're all sitting on the stage. This is all I've got to show after four years of ministry. And Jim puts his arm around me and he says, well, Greg, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of what you've done. And I just started to cry because I felt like such a, and this guy just comes and he just blows wind into my sails and says, I will spend time with you. And for a month, four weeks, once a week, he came and drawings and triangles and all the rest of it. And Jim spent time with us and I got confidence and said, I can do this through working with a team. And why I'm saying that is he didn't even come to do a Sunday meeting because he didn't have the time. He just came and did some leader training on a Tuesday night for a month. And then I then took our church and they were having evening meetings in that room there because this hadn't been built yet, it was in that place. And then I brought for a while, I don't remember for how long, I actually brought our church to their evening meetings. Because I thought, well, look, if any of them wanna come and join you, they're gonna do it anyway. So I might as well let them come and learn because I'm trying to learn and it's no good me learning by myself. So I pulled our whole crew in. When we had bloom time, I took everybody there. I just realized, you know what, I've already lost so many people, flip, if I'm gonna lose more, I miss my losing. But I want to build with what God's called me to build. And I can't explain a concept that I don't even understand. So I hitched myself to the, you know what the funny thing is? We didn't lose, I think Marcus, I don't think we lost one person to you, Oaks. Not even one. Yeah, actually you're right. We did that. And some people from there said, we want to go and support this church plant. And as God's my witness, that was on our plan. I just couldn't cope. And we did. You got, we got some of your families that actually came to us over the next little while. And you know what? Best mates, doesn't matter, we're in this thing together. There will be some Ephesians 4 giftings that bring different contributions that are good for the church's development in each new season. 
Build into those and be intentional. Is that right? Along with building relationships, wherever you're gonna go and plant, won't you build with the other partnering churches in the same area as you? Do it from the beginning. Building relationships with partnering churches and other churches in your region is good for attracting the Lord's blessing through your pursuits of unity. There are always endeavors that can be done together. Trips into regions, combined prayer, youth worship celebrations, eldership team get-togethers, etc. During COVID, I mean, we had a thing with Cornerstone where we came here, I think, yeah, and then you guys came to us. And we, because, you know, the, the heaviness of all of us trying to lead churches during the lockdown and all those heavy times, we had a time at our church and they hosted us at theirs. And the elderships got together, prayed for each other, fellowshiped, and just enjoyed each other's company because we needed our hands lifted at that point in time. Do that with the people around you. And sometimes you're going to get to the place where you are going to release some of your own gifted and willing people to go with church plants that you believe in. That is the power of partnership. And we have let people go all over the place, as Cornerstone has done, to go and serve people and to serve churches everywhere. We've released people into plants that we've done and into those we haven't. And it's always a good reminder that the church and all its people belongs to Jesus. Three comments and I'm done. A key value of partnership in the gospel is that we're able to keep tabs on a church's effectiveness, its momentum, and its health. Because the guys coming into your church know what to look for. That's one of the reasons you invite them in. The team members will invariably look out for what will help the new church in terms of spiritual and relational health, spiritual gift mix and effectiveness, and family health. The only way this can happen is if the team is invited in and kept close by the eldership team of the church. Please remember, ours as apostolic team is an invited authority, not an imposed one. Page 18 at the bottom, almost yeah, the last comment I'm gonna make. It's a partnership in the gospel. This is not about personal ministry. It is not about personal ministry. It's not about you doing what God's called you to do with this fire that sits in your heart. Every Christian is supposed to have that. It's about your ability to play team, to get into partnership, and to do what you do with others for as long as you do it. I say it again, you do not have the privilege of doing this thing on your own. It's not yours. You're called to serve him in his church for his purposes. And then if you turn the page, under, under page 20, under first things first, third line says this, and I underlined it, to transform the nations through the power of God's word, the gospel of Christ, which cuts to the heart and changes hearts, transforming us into people of his love and restoring us to a living relationship with him. I've underlined that in pink in my Bible for the simple reason that you will find from the day you start to lead a church, there are so many winds that blow in a church of people trying to get you to follow other agendas. From social action to, I don't wanna get into it, but many, many issues will come your way. Please remember, the primary thing Jesus did, he preached the gospel, he healed the sick, he cast out demons. That's what he wants us to do. Everything else can come as a side issue to it. I'm telling you, the whole GBV, the gender-based violence crowd, got hold of us when that lady in our church, that hairdresser, got stabbed a few weeks ago. We had them. We did the funeral. I mean, every guy and girl, and you know, some are gay, some aren't, some of this, some of that. Can I tell you, by the way, some of those people from that funeral who never go to church have been coming to our church every week since then by the way we handled it. But we, and so when the guy, who's only 49 years old, admitted to killing her, when the cops went and found her body in a trash can outside his B&B. And he was arrested and put in a Germiston, uh, the cells, Germiston Magistrates Court. The whole GBV lot were out with their banners and no parole and all that stuff. We then, when I did the funeral, had to make a statement saying, you, you're allowed to come, but you don't bring any of your stuff with you. Yeah, but this is a crucial issue for our day. It's irrelevant. Here we preach the gospel of Jesus. I hear what you're saying, but you will not do that where we are. 
And what was I trying to communicate? The church exists to do what Jesus did. It's what we're for, not what we're against. And so you preach the gospel with apostolic team keeping you on track because each of us has a leaning in our hearts. And if we go on our own, we don't allow the team to come in, see what we're not seeing, and point us in the right direction. Okay, that's me. Are there any questiones? Hey, any questions on anything I've just shared? Of course you have a question, Ronnie. Being punted out, what does that mean? Oh, planted, sorry, yeah. Well, the easiest way is before you even plant, you have a list of people going with you. And you sit with the current eldership team before you even go. And you work through that list together that you can sort out their motives. Does that make sense? And even then, some will get through. And even if they do, you need the wisdom still working with your team to not appoint leadership too quickly in your new plant. So you're always working with team and you watch their character because you don't know why some people do what they do. The anointing there. Um, I think it's just a comment on that. When we planted out, we weren't actually allowed to approach people in our church to come with us. And... Um, I think it was uh, Ashley Bell who came and did a church planters here a couple of years ago. Do you remember Marcus? And he said the culture of, uh, or the, an honorable exit. And so when you're exiting a church, all I can say is that I don't think it's wise to go to people and actually recruit them. And I don't think it's wise to recruit people after you've left either. I think that God's got to draw those people. And I think you should chat to your eldership team about people that you feel you'd like to have on your team because that's honorable. I wouldn't, in fact, I wouldn't even entertain it if they did come to you rather than speaking it through with the eldership team because you want to keep your relationships intact with the people that you're leaving. You will naturally leave your church and want other advice other than the guy that you left for a season until you realize they actually knew quite a lot and then you love them even more when you've been away for a while. But I think that honorable exit's very important and I think we can definitely see more value in that because it, it has to do with our character and uh, the one thing you don't want to lose is your character in this thing because once you've lost that you actually lose most of your your testimony and your reputation so I think that's important okay so a new church is vulnerable and if the wrong people get given space too quickly it becomes a problem so yeah just just watch that process carefully um Look, there needs to be some ambition in people's hearts. There's a godly ambition. There needs to be some, whether it's ambition to serve or ambition to lead. But if they're frustrated because at their current church they aren't getting space and they think they're going to get space with you, it can land up causing problems. So rather, as, as you said, just walk it through with the apostolic team before they even go. So you know them. You have relationship with them before you go. It's those people I don't know that I would be a bit cautious about. That makes sense. Anyone else? Hey, Greg. Hello, my um, Just a question quickly. You mentioned earlier about uh, not being a burden to your team or to your leaders, you know, putting a, a heavy on them in terms of expectation. How do you balance that, um, you know, looking at people at different phases or seasons of their life? You've got leaders with small kids, and then you've got older guys, and then you've got people with their own businesses and people that have full-time jobs. How do you uh, view that in terms of what kind of standard do you set in your heart? to say, well, I'm gonna be lenient in this way, or you know, are you strict in certain areas, or 
What's that yeah. burden you place on your leaders? Okay, some of our, one or two of our leaders, you know those strong blue personality types? The ones who want to rule for everything, you know those guys? They would often try and put on me a thing where they say, Greg, if you allow this, you're setting a precedent. So I kind of said, well, where's that in the Bible? Because if I've got a single young guy who in a sense is a little bit like a eunuch at the moment and he can be at everything and run and you've got a guy with a little kid, they're totally different. In the scriptures even in the Old Testament, if you just got married or you just whatever, you didn't even have to serve in the armed forces because th there was relational time. So I think what you do is you, you, as long as you're all with me and as long as we're all trying to achieve the same goal, what we're really talking about is time. Time and energy. We're not talking about goal, purpose, vision, togetherness, unity of heart. It's none of those issues. This, what you're talking about, is purely time and energy. Then you work it with them, but they feel they're being respected with what they have because they've, they've made a big step to come with you anyway. And I think just respecting them in that process, they often will give more than you're requiring of them. The problem is when you require this and they give this and then they feel like they're disappointing you the whole time, they begin to drag and the wrong things get in their hearts and they just feel, and you rather want to say, you know, I mean, this, I mean, I just, this, this only applies to me with our guys, to no one else. We've just come out of two years of COVID and people are tired. So the word started to get out. Hey guys, COVID rules have been relaxed. Let's, now we got to make ground. Now, now, we, now we hit it hard. And I heard all this talk. So I called the first elders, deacons and leaders meeting of this year. I called my whole crew together and I said, I wanna tell you this, for this year, next year we'll have different rules, but for this year alone, if you have a sports event that goes at the same time that I'm having an event, I'd like you to go to that one, please. If we have a, a, a parents evening, I said, you know why? Because for two years, you've not been able to invest in your children. You haven't been able to do in this. I just wanna fix it, I want you to rest. Funny thing is, no one's skipping anything, but what they're appreciating is I said, you know what, just for a season, you're at church, you're at home group, you're at prayer, you're at this and that, but if you have a moment that's important to you as a family, in five years time, you'll never forget that prayer meeting you were at, but you'll forget the thing you didn't go to because you felt pressure from me. So I said, so for a period of time, just one year, as we breathe and as we enjoy God again together, just drop me an email, talk to me, say, I'm not gonna be there because I'm gonna be at this. If the same oak and you know, he's playing golf every three weeks, it's a different issue. But the guy who's just saying, you know what, thank you for that, that I can actually, one of my elders this week, we got an elders meeting on Thursday, he's not there because it's his son's 13th birthday, and he said, he's already told his son, he said, but dad, it's a Thursday, I know you've got elders. And his son, he said to his son, no, no, I've already got off, we're going out for dinner. He said, but dad, last year you weren't, last year we were at the church, and I remember the year before you were also at the church. And I only found this out after. He said, no, but I can show you, boy. I'm not this way. This year I'm with you. And it's off a discussion we'd had. So I think it's just manage the guy. Manage him well. How do you avoid the comparison between the guys for that as well? Because, you know, people get disgruntled if they feel like carrying a heavier load than somebody else. How do you keep motivating them to say, well, you know, we're all in different seasons of our life, you know. I might be able to attend anything because I've got my own business, but, you know, you've got a boss, you've got a, um, you know, account to. Well, it's exactly that. It's Martha and Mary. You say, why are you moaning? No, but I just want to say, you know, I'm working so hard. Well, then stop. I don't ask you to. You know, but you've got it. This comparison thing from Corinthians becomes a problem because it's a self-promotion. I want you to see what I'm doing for everyone and why is this guy getting off? So who asked you to do that? You here as a volunteer, I don't pay you. You here as a volunteer because you're doing what God's told you in your heart to do. Then go talk to him and then come talk to me. And don't come to me about this now because you don't know where this oak's at. Does that make sense? I handle it that way straight away. Hmm. Yo. It's good exercise, Ryan. Getting my exercise uh, you spoke earlier about, uh, now I'm going to put my own words on it, but that managerialist corporate performance management approach that's awash in our surrounding secular culture. How do you guard against that infiltrating the church as you raise up leaders, perhaps people who don't understand our biblical, more relational culture? It's a fine line. I'll tell you why it's a fine line. Because one thing about our relational family uh, attributes of a church is that we're often sloppy in everything we do. And that's just not cool. So what we have in our church is on our eldership team, non-paid, we've got specialists in their own fields and they help put the administrative stuff in place and I hate it. 
on my gifting test, admin and all that's my lowest, lowest. I don't have any. In fact, I'm minus almost. You know what I'm saying? I really am bad at admin. But if we don't have good admin, the little foxes are going to spoil the whole vineyard. And then normally the other equally relational people will say, well, we don't need that. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. You know, you've got to have some form of administration. So, so I would say there needs to be some form of clear administration, clear riverbanks, but they're not rules, they're guidelines. And then in that, you've got, to, you've got a lot of people coming in to serve who are used to that. They're not used to being relational and they battle with it. And then it's to remember that the church, Jesus himself describes us as a family, as a bride, as a body, and start to explain what does that mean? And they can't be taught it, they've got to catch it. So you've got to have times with them. I've had eldership meetings before. We go away like for a couple of days. And sometimes I do share stuff. Other times I'm not doing anything. And the oaks are jittery because I gave up time for this. I was supposed to be doing this. I've given up for this. You see, oh, and this is what we're doing. Yes, they, they can't see it. Eh? And they battle. I don't know if John remembers. We had a time where if church starts, let's say at nine o'clock, I, I let worship start at quarter past nine. Remember that? It wasn't for too long, but I did it. Yesterday we get moaned at her. And they said, hey, I got up early to be here. We said, no, church started at nine. The singing started at quarter past nine. But it was intentional. I told the band, just, just wait. Yesterday I get flack, and it's all those managerial people. Yeah, time, time. And I said, no, we were here. What did you do in that time? You sat in your chair frustrated because that hadn't started. And there's a whole lot of people you could have connected with. And in heaven, we're not going to have set meetings. We're going to fellowship. We're going to enjoy him. We're gonna, you need to unwind a little bit. So it's that combination of both. And you have to model it from the beginning. Times for business and times for fun. Yeah. Anyone else? I've got two minutes. It's 11.57. Um, Greg, do you have a certain rhythm or schedule for how you connect with uh, translocal guys? Yeah, I would say at least three times a year. At least every quarter or or every four months, it'll be good to, in your own personal capacity, or with the church, have guys in. I would say no less than one, two. No, I'd say no less than two and probably no more than four. Team guys coming in in a year. Because it takes a long time to process what they said last. And I don't want to bring the new person in until we've settled what we did with the old, with the old stuff we've got. Because we've got to be faithful to what we felt God has told us to do. So that would be my kind of rule of thumb. But of course, if you're planting and you want to get on the phone, you just do that every day if you want. But if you're talking to this guy and getting advice from that guy and from that, at least tell them so they know. Don't just play them off against each other, you know. Let them know. Okay. It is important. All right, one minute left exactly. Any other earth-shattering questions quickly? Hey? Greg, um, can you explain how you handle those tight admin people or those front-running, hectic admin-type people and your real pastoral guys on your team because you've got to have the most diverse team that I've ever seen? Yeah, okay. How do you handle those different characters? All right, so let me ask you this. You asked me just now, Blue Shirt, what's your name again? No, one of you asked me, what's my hobby? Oh, you did, eh? Uh, Mr. Uppington. You ask me, what's my, what's my hobbies? What, what, what gets me going? With that question, it's whether the guys are gifted relationally or the guys are gifted administratively. Put them in their strengths where they fire the best. While, not ex- you never try and make the one become like the other one because they never will. You can forget it. An admin oak and a relational oak are never gonna join. Never, ever, ever. It's just how they're wired celebrate it, but never allow one to have a bigger voice than the other one, ever. But remember, above that, Jesus is the great shepherd, not the great administrator. And you've got to remember that and say, now remember, Jesus was a shepherd. And that's, if I come into the church, I need to feel shepherded, not administrated. But if you don't have the administration, little foxes spoil everything and, and nothing ever happens. So keep it in its place. And the lead guy, if you've got a team of horses pulling your carriage, you've got to know which horse you pull back and which horse you hit on the haunches to make it run. It's the skill of leadership. Is that right? And if you're running a carriage with horses, let me tell you, can I be honest with you? Some of those horses don't even like each other. 
And they sit in the same team and they smile and they love and they break bread together. But believe me, this horse gets too close to this one. It bites it, kicks it, whatever. It's the nature of horses. People are people. You'll never cookie cut them. But the lead guy needs the strength to hold them and let them go. And you just say, God, wisdom and revelation by your Holy Spirit, please. Okay. I'm done. Thanks for joining us today. Remember to go to ncmi.net for more resources.